you know, we've got Matthew 5, 7 here, which is, you know, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. But if we kind of go back over the last few weeks as we've been looking, you know, we talked about what the poor in spirit, right? We've talked about the meek. We've talked about what else? I'm drawing blanks here. What? Those who mourn. Missing one more? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there was a common theme throughout those four, right? The common theme was kind of that sinful nature that we have, the thing that has taken us to the place of not being blessed, and how we need to acknowledge that, be aware of that, and then hunger and thirst kind of for the opposite of that in order to get away from that and then enter into that blessed state. And so as I was looking at this and I'm kind of studying this out and I'm seeing the merciful. I'm like, they shall obtain mercy. And of course, I, who's the best example of mercy? Jesus, right? The one who's talking about mercy here is the best example of Jesus. And I just start thinking, okay, what was Jesus like? And, and especially to those who were the sinners, those who were full of sin, those who had this life of sin, who was Jesus to them? And then this song came back to my mind, a song that I have had issues with for the longest time. It's by Casting Crowns, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And I have had the biggest issue with that because of the title. Like the lyrics in the song, I like the lyrics. They're good lyrics, with the exception of calling Jesus a friend of sinners. I'm like, Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners. Did he show mercy? Did he show compassion? Did he show love? Well, sure he did that. But would I call Jesus a friend of sinners? That's where I've kind of, you know, struggled with this. However, I was also reading another Bible translation, and it was where Judas winds up betraying Jesus, and Jesus actually refers to Judas as friend. And then all of a sudden, my rallying against Jesus, friend of sinners, just kind of uh, you know, had my little bubble burst. And I'm like, wait a second. If Jesus called Judas, who, I mean, come on, he was a sinner, especially in that moment. He had betrayed Jesus. If Jesus calls Judas... A friend, maybe there's something I'm missing about that word friend. Maybe I don't really understand what a friend is, or maybe I'm not thinking of the word friend in the right manner. I mean, typically, if you kind of look around, you talk to people, you ask, what is a friend? I think part of our culture has really like diluted what it means to have a true friend and what the word friend means. I mean, I'm going to blame it on Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg because I can. Um, you know, he decides that we just need to send friend requests and all of a sudden you can have 5,000 friends. And it's like, no, you, you don't have 5,000 friends. You have 5,000 acquaintances that you called friends. And I'm not even sure we can call them acquaintances because you don't even know them. <sighs> okay. So anyways, the friends, <laughs> it's like... When I think about friends, I, and I've asked people, what is, what is a friend? If you ask the world, what is a friend? They're going to tell you that a friend is, you know, someone who's always got your back. Someone who's on your side. Somebody who supports you. Somebody that you trust. And they're there with you 
through the thick and thin of things. You know, even if you're struggling, your friend's always there for you. But this one thing that is kind of a reoccurring thought on friendship, and at least how I've even seen friendship of late, is it's somebody who's always got your back. Doesn't matter what you do, they're always there for you. And that sounds great, but it's not what we really mean. We don't mean that they are just there for you. Like when we say a friend is somebody who's got your back, what we really mean is even if I'm in the wrong, my friend's going to take my side. Even if I'm doing the wrong things, the friend's going to take my side. And that's why I say by that definition of friendship, Jesus is not a friend. I mean, what was it that Jesus actually did? Yes, he, he loved on people exactly where they were at. Sinners, righteous, didn't matter. He loved them exactly where they're at. I mean, you think about all the little children that came running up to Jesus. They were a bunch of little sinners. If you don't think that children are sinners, you've not spent any amount of time around children. I mean, come on. Selfish little critters. They're just, that's what they are. I want it. I want it now. It's got to be mine. I don't care how much money it costs or how long it took you to get it. I am the center of the universe. You must serve me, parent. It's like, these are little sinners. And Jesus loved them. Let them run up to him. Sit on his lap. He's talking to them. He's giving them compassion. That's exactly what Jesus did. Yes, he ate with people that were sinners. He had lunch with them. He was very conversational with them. He spent much time with them. But one thing that Jesus always did that most of our friends won't do is he told them the truth. Jesus always spoke the truth in love. Because he was so moved with compassion for people, he told them the truth. He would call them out for being a fool. He would tell them that they're doing the wrong thing. He would tell them they're going to hell if they don't change their ways. That's the type of friend Jesus was. That's the type of friend that we should be. And when Jesus is talking about, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, and this is Jesus, the one who is full of mercy, if he's the one that is dishing out the most mercy, and he's saying those that dish out mercy are going to receive mercy, shouldn't we want to be like him? Shouldn't we want to be full of mercy like him? Shouldn't we want to receive as much mercy as we can? I mean, the very word mercy, like when we receive mercy, it means that we're not getting what we deserve. And if anybody has ever sinned, which if you didn't know, that's you. All of us have sinned. Romans is very clear about that. What we deserve for our sin is eternal damnation. That's what we deserve. Mercy that comes from God says we don't get that. We don't get what we deserve. I'm thankful for that mercy. I appreciate that mercy. But see, Jesus, known as the friend of sinners... When he was referred to this, when, and this really comes from the Pharisees, like the way that he talked to people, the way that he ex, 
like conversed with them, the way that he related to them, the way that he showed them mercy, the way that he showed them compassion, the Pharisees did not like this. The Pharisees were sinners, but they didn't see themselves as sinners. They saw themselves as righteous. And even if you, you talk back and you can look at some of like the, the interviews from Casting Crowns and, and who actually wrote those lyrics, they'll point to you know, this passage out of Matthew chapter 9 where the Pharisees kind of address what Jesus was doing. And that's where they came up with this, this term. And most people come up with the term that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And I guess if you've got your Bible, I want you to kind of turn there. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9 here because I, I want to paint this picture of what mercy looks like from Jesus. Not only what Jesus says, but what Jesus shows. Because I think that's the only way that we're truly going to be able to understand how to be merciful ourselves. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 1, read down through 13. Verse 1 says, So he got into a boat, crossed over, came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic, Lying in a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> now, this guy's paralyzed. And Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. His body is paralyzed. But Jesus doesn't speak to the suffering body. He speaks to the suffering soul. Jesus saw what he really needed. And he saw his faith that he was coming to Jesus, coming for salvation. He may have been looking for salvation of the body, but Jesus was like, we got to get first things first here. We got to get his heart right. We got to get his mind right. We need to take care of these sins. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 3, it says, At once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. They said it within themselves. This wasn't out loud. But Jesus heard them. It says in verse 4, He acknowledged, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic man, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your own house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. It says in verse 9, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is where it comes out that Jesus is the friend of sinners. Now, now the thing that people aren't going to say, and oftentimes the thing that we don't even see in this is who brought these tax collectors and sinners to the table? Because it, this story goes so fast. You ever notice that the Bible, it doesn't tell you absolutely everything that happened in the moment. 
it hits the highlights. It hits the big things. And sometimes we'll miss the context of this situation. But the Bible clearly gives you the context. Jesus comes in, into the city, sees a paralyzed man, forgives him of his sin, then heals his body. And as he's walking away, one of the men that saw this was a tax collector named Matthew. He's like, Matthew, come and be my disciple. Come follow me. What does Matthew do? Matthew is then saved. And Matthew's like, I want all of my other tax collecting sinner friends to do this. I want them to experience what I just experienced. Hey, come over and meet my teacher, meet my master, meet my Jesus. That's where these tax collectors and sinners are coming from. Matthew inviting them over. Jesus sitting down and just having dinner with them. Lunch, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it was brunch, I don't know. But he's having this and now the Pharisees are upset. The Pharisees are upset. I mean, if I just had to take a stab in the dark, why they're really upset? It's because they weren't invited for dinner. <laughs> well, 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 why is he dining with them and not us? If this is such a great teacher who performed the miracles that we just saw, he should be dining with us, not these tax collectors. If I'm Matthew, I'm like, I invited them. They're the ones that I invited. Jesus goes ahead and he just answers this question. He answers in what I believe is why Matthew invited the tax collectors and sinners. Verse 12, Jesus hears it and says to them, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says to them, those who are well, they don't need a physician. This is just coming off the heels of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Jesus, the great physician, healing this man that everybody sees. And now the Pharisees want to be a part of this. Jesus is like, you guys think you're good. You already think you're well. You don't need me. You've made that abundantly clear. You don't need me. I'm going to the people that really need me. The ones who are sick. However, here's what I want you Pharisees to do. I want you to think about this. See if you can understand this thing. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See if you can learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now this is not Jesus saying, and he's quoting Old Testament, he's not saying that sacrifice is not necessary and sacrifice is not needed. It's actually like an old Hebrew alliteration that they would do where you put things in order. If anything, what this is meaning is mercy is more important to me than sacrifice. And what Jesus was telling them to really learn, and what I believe Jesus is trying to tell us to really learn, is that God cares more about us being merciful than he does with our church attendance, with our Bible readings, with our tithes and our offerings. He cares more about us being 
merciful, showing mercy to those who need it. Because what Jesus was using in this situation is this man, Matthew, that invited other sinners in so that they could meet Jesus. Matthew had received the mercy. Matthew was trying to share the mercy. And Jesus is pointing out to them, you need to learn this. You need to understand this. That word merciful that we see in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. That word merciful, what it really means here is that we have to have this kind of compassion and sympathy towards people. We need to have a compassion and a sympathy towards them. That's what we need to be having. That's what we need to be leaning towards. And and what should we be compassionate about? What should we be compassionate about? What should we be sympathetic towards? Keep this beatitude in the context of all of the beatitudes, and it's that we as human beings are full of sin and have had sin in our lives, and that sin has drawn us away from God. And only when we acknowledge that and we seek escape from that can we find the mercy needed to prevent that from being our final destination. When we're to be merciful towards others, it's really to understand that they are sinners just like we were. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer defined by sin because I have received that mercy. But before I received it, that's what defined me. That's who I was. And that is who so many people are. What they really need is mercy. What we need to be giving them is mercy. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I want to show you this other uh, little passage and story here. You might find it familiar. We're going to kind of cover what is known as the story of the Good Samaritan. But I want you to see how this really falls in with Jesus' overall teaching about mercy. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 10, and I want to actually start um, in verse 25. And here's where you'll see how this applies. Because I believe what happens here is exactly what happens to so many of us. So many of us, when we feel like God is calling us to reach out to a sinner... To have compassion on a sinner. I say this because this is exactly where I was at when I first got saved. I was exactly where this certain lawyer was. Trying to justify my own actions. It's where I see so many Christians at when God is calling us to witness to people. We try to justify my actions. We try to justify why we're not going to talk to them, why we don't want to share things with them because, well, you know what? Light and darkness can have no fellowship. We're not talking about fellowship here. Jesus is not talking about fellowship here. What Jesus is talking about is having mercy on people, showing them mercy, being compassionate, loving them like he has loved us. And here in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, What's written in the law? What is your reading of it? 
The lawyer answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he says rightly to him, or says to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you'll live. But he, wanting to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? He's looking for an escape. So many Christians have not only asked this question, they answered it for themselves instead of letting Jesus answer it. They've answered it for themselves. Well, we're supposed to do good to all people, especially to the household of faith. So we're going to start right here. We're going to start in our church. We're going to start with our fellow Christians. That's where we're going to start showing mercy and compassion first. It's not what Jesus commands us. He reads this story. Verse 30, Jesus answers and says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and he set him on his own and or set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he had departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Jesus says, him who showed mercy. Him who showed mercy. Love your neighbor. Who was the neighbors? It was the one who fell among the thieves and the one who showed mercy. Now see, when I I sat here and I think about this, I'm like, man, I was that man. You were that man. The one that was left on the side of the road because you fell among the thieves. Ah, But pastor, how did I fall among the thieves? Well, John tells us that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We have fallen among Satan. We have fallen among the thief. He has tried to kill us. He has tried to destroy us. He has left us on the side of the road half dead. Because in our sins and in our trespasses, we were spiritually dead, just waiting to be physically dead so we could be eternally dead. And what we had, each and every one of us, was a neighbor, somebody that showed us mercy, somebody that was moved with compassion, that came to us as a true friend and is like, hey, You're going to hell. You've been making the wrong decisions, doing the wrong things, because what you're really doing is trusting in yourself to be your own God. And the only solution is to stop doing that and to put all of your trust and faith and life into Jesus' hands. And that's exactly what happens. That is what is happening in this story. 
This good Samaritan walking by, finding him, picking him up, being moved with compassion, and leading him to the one that can take care of him. And saying, you know what? Whatever it takes, I'm here. I'm here. This is the type of mercy that we are to have. When we see others that are struggling, when we see others that are suffering in their sin, we need to be the ones that are able to walk up to them, to to see them, to be moved with compassion towards them, and to just tell them the truth. Because the world out there is lying to them. Their friends are lying to them. Oh, just do whatever makes you happy and it'll be all right. Oh, no, you didn't do anything wrong. Everything is good. You're right. They're wrong. Oh, I love you. I accept you. Everything you do is fine in my book. That's not what Jesus would be saying to these people. And I know that because he's already said it. What Jesus has already said to these people is the same thing he's already said to each and every one of us. I'm not going to pass judgment on you right now, but I need you to go and stop sinning. Jesus is saying, I love you. I care for you. I want you to have a life with me. I want to get you out of this life with the thief that is trying to kill you. Now stop sinning. Follow me. Do what I do. We need to have that same type of mercy on others to sit there and say, I understand you're struggling. I understand you're suffering. I've been there. I found the salvation from that pain and suffering. And it's the only solution there is. All you got to do is trust Jesus. All you got to do is, well, does that mean I have to stop doing this stuff? What it means is you need to trust him. You need to obey him. Let him work all that out. Any of those areas that are keeping you from a relationship with him, he'll start shaving those off. He'll get rid of any of those desires you have for that stuff. Oh, well, how's he going to do that? He's going to do that because he was in your shoes. He's walked through everything that you've walked through. There's nothing that you're facing that he hasn't already faced, but yet he knew how to complete it and not be overcome by it. That's why you trust him. This is the type of mercy that Jesus is telling us that we are to have. See, mercy should be coming from us as easily as it came to us. How easy did mercy come in your life? How quick did the mercy of God come in your life? That's how quick and that's how easy that mercy needs to come from your life. Too often, we will try to justify these actions. We will try to sit there and make excuses to not do it because you know what? Some of these conversations are hard. It's hard to talk to a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor that doesn't serve God. It's hard to talk to them and have a conversation in a compassionate way to say, you're an idiot and you're going to hell, so stop it. I mean, it's hard to do that in a compassionate way. I want to speak the truth. I want to be like, pull your head out and realize you're going to hell. That's what I want to say. But Jesus said it in a loving way. 
Jesus would say it in a loving way. Jesus said it in a loving way when you think about the woman who was caught in adultery and, and he walks up to him and he's like, you know, woman, where are your accusers at? Here's the thing. That simple statement, woman, where are your accusers? It's not just saying, where are they? Jesus is also saying, I'm not one of them. I'm not accusing you of anything. Because he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He's compassionate. He's merciful. We need to be merciful. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to finish with this verse, this passage here in Matthew 25. Because if you haven't understood the need for being full of mercy at this point, this one should seal it. Matthew chapter 25. I want you to look here. Verse 34. Jesus is kind of telling us about the time when he will wind up judging us. It's coming. He hasn't done it yet, but it's coming. In verse 34 of Matthew 25, he says, Then the king will come to those on his right hand. Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. As much as you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Jesus is judging them based on their mercy. And he's saying, you've done it. You've done it. These are those on the right hand that have already done it. Because when we're showing mercy to others, when we're being merciful to others, we're being merciful to the one who is full of mercy, our Savior Jesus. The one whom the mercy first came from. We are being like Christ when we are full of mercy. There are so many people out there in the world that are suffering and are full of sorrow and regret and they need healing. They need saving. They need compassion. They need mercy. And we are the ones that can offer that mercy. We are the ones that not only can offer that mercy, we're the ones commanded to offer that mercy. Mercy should come from us as quickly as it came to us. Jesus tells us, Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
who do you know that's struggling? Who do you know that's suffering? What can you do to show them mercy? How can you show them mercy? How can you show them mercy like you've been shown mercy? When I think of that song, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, like I said, it was only the, like the title and that one line that I had issues with because the rest of the lyrics are so good. And there's this line in it that says, Nobody knows what we're for, only what we're against when we judge the wounded. What if we put down our signs and crossed over the lines and loved like you did? What if people knew what we were for? Jesus made it clear who he was for. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. I didn't come to heal the ones who don't even need a healer. I came to heal the ones who were wounded. When we're judging the wounded, we're not healing the wounded. We're not having mercy on the wounded. The world is full of sinners. The world is full of stupid people. I used to be one of them. Maybe one of the stupidest. Not even sure if that's a word, but you know what I mean. It's like, that's, that's who I was. And I'm just so thankful for the godly men and women that showed me mercy. Because I needed it. I didn't need judgment. I needed mercy. The world doesn't need our judgment. They need our mercy. Because our mercy comes from His mercy. And it comes from the place of His nature, which is love. We must understand that mercy should come from us just as easily as it came to us, and then we must act upon that understanding. Let's be the merciful. Let's pray.